Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church in Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, November 4th, we're studying 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through chapter 6, verse 2. St. Paul gives Timothy further instructions concerning the lives of Christians within their various God-given vocations. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Clint Poppy. Pastor Poppy serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Pastor Poppy, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Well, thanks for having me, Pastor. It's always a great honor. So we get started this morning, Pastor Poppy. Let's talk context. Where has Paul been in this epistle? Where is he going? What do we need to know going into this text today? Well, you know, the uh, the epistles, the letters of First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, are the pastoral epistles, and I think sometimes people sitting in the pews get a little bit, um, uh, maybe a false idea or a false understanding that these uh, these words of Scripture are only for pastors, and they don't have any application outside of the office of the Holy Ministry. And so I think it's uh, it's good for us to remember and recount that all of Scripture is God-breathed, and that uh, while there may be some specific parts of these pastoral epistles that are directed at the office of the Holy Ministry, they are for all of God's people. It's the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And um, in First Timothy especially, Paul, old pastor, is writing to Timothy, young pastor, on... Um, how to conduct himself in the church. I came across a little uh, a little nugget, a little tidbit in uh, Luther, and uh, he writes, uh, After all, Paul sets up this entire epistle that Timothy may know how to conduct himself in the church. This is the goal of the epistle. Mm. I thought that was kind of a neat little uh, sentence and summary, um, how Timothy is to conduct himself in the church, and by extension, how pastors are to conduct themselves in the church, by extension, how Christians are to conduct themselves in the church. So how, I mean, you brought up the, the matter of lay readers of this epistle, which is, as, as Luther says, so that the pastors, or Timothy would know how to conduct himself in the church. Where, like, where do lay readers read this and say, yep, that's for me? Where do they read it and say, well, that's for my pastor, I'm going to apply that a different way? Well, I think, I think the context for that is, uh, is key. But when, uh, when Paul, again, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing specifically about duties, functions, responsibilities of the Office of the Holy Ministry, the uh, the person sitting in the pew needs to know that as well, because they need to know what to expect of their pastor. They need to know uh, how their pastor is to conduct himself and encourage him and hold him accountable in that respect. There are other, maybe uh, more broad vocational things, as we as we uh, saw earlier in uh, 
First Timothy chapter 5, the earlier verses, where it's talking about uh, people by age, people by other distinctions, uh, young women, older women, young men, older men, and how our vocations live out in the church and from the church live out into the world. And we're going to get a bit of both of that in today's text, some that's going to be more directed to pastors, those in the pastoral office. And so for those in the pews, this is what you should expect of your pastor and how you should treat your pastor as well. We'll see some of that. And then also some of the, as you said, more general speaking to various vocations within the lives of Christians that we'll see in today's text as well. It flows very nicely out of what we read yesterday. And so we're going to continue here. We're going to read the text, 1 Timothy 5, beginning at verse 17 continuing through chapter 6, verse 2. St. Paul writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water. But use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. That is our text for today, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 6, 2. Pastor Poppy, the first thing that comes to mind is identifying who these elders are in verse 17. Again, Paul starts, let the elders who rule well, in yesterday's text, in 5.1, the ESV translates, do not rebuke an older man. And so we've got actually the same word in Greek there. Verse 1 seems to be referring to, just in general, an older man with no specific vocation in mind. Is that the same way Paul is using the word in verse 17 here? Well, that's the million-dollar question in uh studies of First Timothy chapter 5, there, there are a lot of varying opinions that are out there, and I don't, I don't think they're as much at odds as some would have us believe. Most people, most scholars, most commentaries, certainly the Lutheran Study Bible, um, sees kind of a shift here in verse 17, and uh, narrowing down the older men from verse 1, of chapter 5 into the older men who just happen to be pastors. Uh, Luther is really, really interesting in this, and it's uh, volume 28 of Luther's works. Luther kind of looks at this, and these are my words and not his, but he kind of looks at this in kind of a uh, wide sense and a narrow sense. And this word used in a wide sense would be that 
older men in general, and uh, you know you treat your elders with respect and honor and and so forth. And then certain places, more in a narrow sense, where it is more focused on the office of the holy ministry. But even at those places where it is focused on the office of the holy ministry, Luther is very very quickly to point out that these same principles apply in how we treat older men, how we treat other Christians, how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ, that these principles are not only for pastors, but apply in a wider way to the church. I think that's helpful. So, in, I mean, so we could look at verse 17 and say more generally in that wide sense, as you were saying, let the older men who rule well be considered worthy of double honor and, and recognize that here in First Timothy 5 and other places in the scriptures, teach us to respect those who are older for their God-given authority over us, who, those who, who rule well. There's a, there's a sense in which this is, has a broad application. But it, it does seem, as Paul continues, that he's got the, what we would call the pastoral office in mind more specifically as well. And, uh, you know, there, there are other clues to that, especially when we get into the uh, laying on of hands and things like that. This verse 17 is a very, very important verse in uh, certain church bodies, uh, the Presbyterian Church. This is where they get their distinction between ruling elders and teaching elders, and uh, very, very little emphasis on what we would call the Office of Holy Ministry. And so... Uh, getting getting a good grip and getting a good picture on what Paul is addressing here to young Pastor Timothy, I think, is important. And the farther we get in Chapter 5, the more clear it becomes that we are talking specifically about the Office of the Holy Ministry with application to older men in general and how we treat how Christians treat one another um, I think that I think that's all here in these verses so here then I mean and that would be where the word elder itself would have a wider application than just an older man so there could be if we're gonna if we're gonna read it that way as well there could be an, an elder say like Timothy, who happens to be a young man, but he's still called an elder, scripturally speaking, because he occupies the office of the holy ministry. And so in, in that sense, Paul almost, well, maybe maybe not almost, Paul uses the word elder and overseer. We, we talked about that word back in 1 Timothy 3, where Paul lists the qualifications of overseers. It seems that they're almost used in, interchangeably. Maybe they are used interchangeably. What do you think? I think in some respects they are used interchangeably, and and today when we look back, when uh, when we see overseer, when we see uh, bishop, when we see pastor, when we see elder, we certainly look at them interchangeably and don't have these distinctions in our church today. There there may have been some fine distinctions at the time when uh, the apostle Paul is writing here that we it it may not be as clear to us as it was to them 2,000 years ago. But I think it's okay for us to use these interchangeably unless the context, as it did in chapter uh, 1 Timothy 5, verse 1, unless the context makes it clear that it's talking about something else. I think in our text here today in 1 Timothy 5, we see, in a sense, Paul is making... Timothy, a bishop, because he's giving him the authority 
making him an overseer, giving him the authority for the laying on of hands and making sure that this is done. So I think I think we see that happening in these words. So with the idea in our in our back pocket that all older men are worthy of honor, respect. Let's look at these words then with more of that pastoral office in view. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially for those who labor in preaching and teaching. Oh, Pastor Probably, there's so much we could talk about here. I, you've already brought up the difference, or or is there a difference? Paul talks about elders who rule well, and then especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So are there two different elders, as, as some might claim, and sort of use this as a verse that lays out a particular form of church government? What What's Paul doing when he talks about ruling well and preaching and teaching? Well, I, I think he's talking about the fact that there there is a, a, a ruling nature that comes uh, with the authority of being an older person, being a pastor. Uh, if you've been, you know, I've been, been doing this gig for a long time now, and it's amazing how young pastors uh, will sometimes just uh, ask all kinds of questions of me because they assume since I've been doing it a long time, I'm kind of an authority, or I've had that experience. I think what, what's going on here with especially those who labor in preaching and teaching you know, we see in uh, in Acts chapter 6 and other places throughout the book of Acts where there are a lot of things that are going on in the church with regard to what we would call social ministry kind of things, and that there are certain leaders in the church that are more geared in this particular area, but he's highlighting that the primary task or the the most important thing that this uh, pastor, this uh, ruling elder does, is when he preaches and teaches. Mm. And while it's not explicitly said here, this is preaching and teaching God's Word and its truth and purity. That's where it's all about. That's the, that's the most important. And these pastors are um, worthy of double honor. And uh, what you want to do with that double honor word, that can be taken in a lot of different ways, too. Well, how should we take it, Pastor Poppy? Since we'll just we'll just keep that conversation going right there. What what does Paul mean by double honor? Well, you know, I su- I suppose that uh, when the pastor walks in the room, you can bow down to him twice instead of once. <laughs> uh, that would be a type of double honor, but that is uh, that is symbolism over substance. Yeah. Treating your pastor, the one who leads you in the Word of God, with an extra measure of respect. You know, when I when I first read these words, uh, you know, most recently in preparing for today, thinking about that double honor, I couldn't help but think about how often in the Old Testament the uh, firstborn or the one who gets a uh, special blessing gets a double portion. And it is, uh, it is highlighted that there is something special, something unique going on, and this double portion, this double blessing, is coming from God. When we uh, go into verse 18, don't muzzle the ox, the laborer deserves its wages. I think it's clear that what we're talking about here with this double honor is don't only honor your pastor with words, Honor him with 
a paycheck. Honor him with substance, sustenance. Take care of the one physically who is taking care of you spiritually. Yeah, I think I think that I appreciate the connection to the firstborn in the Old Testament. I hadn't thought about that, but I think there's I think there's something there, and and I think you're within the context. You're precisely right that the honor being doubled would indicate not only a respect for the office, for the man whom God has sent you to preach His word, to administer His sacraments, to teach you the gospel. It's not only that respect. But it is also the matter of compensation that Paul does bring up in verse 18. Real, real briefly, Pastor Poppy, before we go there, I just want to connect the words ruling well and preaching and teaching. As I was reflecting on these, these words, reading this in preparation for today, that you know, the matter of, of a, an elder or a pastor ruling or having authority may cause us a bit of uncomfort in, in today, discomfort. I guess, in today's world. That's not something we often, sometimes that's something we shy away from. And yet, what is it, what is the authority that God has given the pastors? It's not to make the congregation do whatever he wants, but it is to preach and teach. It is to give them the word of God. And I was reminded of of what Jesus talks about in Matthew 20, where his disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. And he says, I'm, I'm putting you in the church's servants, not as those who, who are going to lord it over others, but your servants in the same way that I'm a servant, Jesus says. And, and the service that pastors give by which their, their authority is exercised in the church is the preaching and teaching of God's word, which, I mean, that that's, means a lot to me as a pastor, and, and hopefully it speaks to those in the pew as well. And uh, we, we don't need to claim an extra authority, um, you know, like, I talk louder than everybody else so that I have more authority. I can really bark out my orders. Uh, I'm real strict in this area because I have more authority. The, the authority that we have is the Word of God, and it seems weak and meaningless to the rest of the world. And yet this is precisely what God has given us. I know many of our churches have uh, either recently celebrated uh, the Festival of Reformation or will, and that first reading from Revelation 14, 6, and 7, where the angel is uh, flying around with an eternal gospel to proclaim. Um, that's the weapon God has given us in the church militant. That's where our authority comes from, from the Word of God, from this Word that is eternal. And we preach it, we teach it, and we don't have to try to usurp any other authority, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, and now he gives us that very same authority as we go forth. And so because of that authority conferred by Christ upon those whom he sends as pastors, again, he, Paul here, says that those who rule well like this are worthy of double honor, and we've made that connection. That means not only respect, but also the matter of compensation, which is where Paul goes in verse 18. And and to you, to show that, he quotes the Old Testament. He says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, the second verse, I think, well, that makes sense, but but what's this matter of not muzzling an ox while it treads out the grain? <laughs> well, uh, if you've been on a farm, uh, you might be able to get this picture a little bit more, but you know some of the old-time movies, uh, westerns that you've seen, uh, or even... Uh, movies about Bible times, you might have an ox or uh, several oxen tied up and they're walking in a circle. 
and these oxen are walking in a circle, and what they're doing is they're connected to an apparatus that is separating the wheat from the chaff. The oxen, as they are doing their thing, uh, some of the grain is falling on the ground, and it is by their feet. If you muzzle the ox, the ox can't eat while it is treading out the grain. If you keep the ox unmuzzled, he can get a little food and get a little sustenance as he is doing his work. And when you think about it, that word picture applies perfectly to the office of the Holy Ministry. The pastor who is working in the church, the people respond with an offering, uh, including a a financial offering, and a portion of that financial offering goes to support the pastor and his family. And so when you you see that uh, word picture going on, it's a great one. Unfortunately today, one of the tactics that people sadly use to gain authority or to manipulate things in the church is they do muzzle the ox. When uh, when there's an issue or a problem in the congregation, many times people are tempted, um, we just won't take care of our pastor as much. We'll cut his paycheck. Um, we will um, make, make him responsible for more uh, benefit kind of expenses. And in that respect, muzzling the ox uh, to teach the pastor a lesson, to regain some authority. Uh, we, we see this kind of naughtiness going on in the church uh, far too often, and uh, it, uh, it should not be tolerated. Now, there's, there's definitely a danger there from the side of the congregation. You know, we were talking about earlier how a lay Christian would read this and use this, and, and we talked about how it's good for a, a layperson to know what they should expect of a pastor. And one of the qualifications that Paul gave back in chapter 3 for an overseer was that he would not be a lover of money. And so you, you could see how, how easily a command like that to an overseer could be abused by, by someone, as you said, who's trying to usurp authority or to grab at power, not authority, but to grab at power, and try to hold that over the pastor's head as if this verse weren't written. And, and there's a, a needed humility from both parties, from the pastor and congregation alike, such that the pastor doesn't fall into the temptation of greed and desiring to do the work of the office for the sake of monetary gain, but also so that the congregation doesn't take advantage of the man who is given to serve them and does provide for him and his family as God's word commands. The old Adam is alive and well in both pastors and lay people and there's there's a temptation toward greed uh on both sides of the coin uh most of the pastors i know the vast majority of the pastors i know are very very uncomfortable talking about their own compensation and uh Many will just leave the room when the elders or the uh, church council or the voters' assembly is talking about their salary. Uh, they, they just don't want to go there. They, they trust that the congregation will take care of them. And sometimes people take advantage of that. And I think it's, it's a both-and here. 
pastors need to be aware of the temptation toward greed or to become a lover of money, and congregations need to take care of their pastor and support support him to the best of their ability. And doesn't mean he need, needs to be the richest person in the congregation or anything like that, but so he can take care of himself and his family. And I think that both and is a uh, is a good balance and a good. Uh, corrective toward our natural inclination to sin. Mm, yeah, I mean, and Paul's not done addressing the matter of money here in this epistle. He's going to bring it up a couple more times to Timothy, and, and then for those in the congregations that Timothy is serving as well. So this is, as you said, it is a both and for both pastors and congregations to consider what the Lord calls them to do and how to live in love toward each other, all the while trusting in the Lord to be the one to give them daily bread. As, as Paul continues then in verse 19, he's, he's still talking about elders. He says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. What's, what kind of charge is Paul have in mind here when he talks about a charge laid against an elder? You, you know, when we're, when we're talking about a charge or an accusation, it, it can be anything. When we're talking about someone who is preaching and teaching that person who is worthy of double honor, well, with that double honor comes a great responsibility. And the charge would be false teaching, false preaching, or as we in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod would know it from our bylaws and our Constitution, uh, living a scandalous lifestyle. These would be, these would be the kind of charges that people would bring against a pastor that are very, very serious charges. Now, as we're, as we're looking at this in the context of the Office of the Holy Ministry, this same principle applies to any charge and any accusation being brought against anybody, mm-hmm. that we should be very, very slow to believe accusations that are maybe brought with less than uh, big evidence. Uh, They're not supported by witnesses, anonymous sources. That's always a big thing in our news. And uh, that we we need to be very slow and very discerning when it comes to these charges. Uh, There's a lot at stake with regard to the Office of the Holy Ministry, and so we want to be careful uh, with any false accusations. But let's be honest, there's a lot at stake with anyone's reputation. And so we want to be extra cautious. That's why God gave us the Eighth Commandment, so that we do not hurt or harm our ne- our neighbor's reputation. Yeah, definite need for care when it comes to this matter of reputation. And Paul's got a little more to say on that in this verse. He talks about two or three witnesses. We're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, November 4th. We're studying 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17 through chapter 6, verse 2. We've got Pastor Clint Poppy with us. He serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Pastor Poppy, prior to the break, we were looking at verse 19, and Paul's talking about charges admitted against an elder. And, and we were saying, and this is true of, of anyone, particularly for those in the pastoral office, but for anyone, that when we're talking about the matter of reputation, we don't want to tear someone's reputation down, and that when there is a charge, there should be solid evidence. And Paul here talks about two or three witnesses. What What's the qualification for two or three witnesses? Well, in, uh, in the Old Testament, you have uh, many, many places that refer to the fact that you you need multiple witnesses in order for a charge to be brought or a charge to be considered legal uh, or trustworthy. We have uh, several places where uh, when when God takes an oath, uh, he calls heaven and earth or uh, the uh, the aspects of nature as his witnesses. So God abides by this same thing. He's going to have his own witnesses that he's telling the truth. And one cannot help but think of Matthew 18 and what we oftentimes refer to as the uh, stages of admonition in that uh, chapter with regard to what do you do when a brother sins against you? And that uh, second step, I think as most people would say it, would be to take two or three witnesses with you so that everything may be established with witnesses um, this is this is not he said, she said, this is not hearsay, this is serious stuff. We need to have witnesses, witnesses that'll put their name by their testimony and uh, treat the charge and the call to repentance, which is what this is really all about, very, very seriously. God loves reconciliation. God loves repentance. That's why he sent Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's where, I mean, Paul continues on that same vein. You brought up Matthew 18, and as Paul continues, I mean, it's almost like he's got Jesus' words there in front of them and is using those as the model for what he's writing Timothy. He says, as, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. I mean, there's there's the move that Jesus makes from two to three witnesses to telling it to the church. So, you know, the the re- private rebuke with two or three to the public rebuke. Now, Pastor Poppy, as, as Paul continues here, he says, as for those who persist in sin, he's not as specific there. Is Does he still have the charges against pastors, particularly minors? He's starting to broaden things a bit. You know, it's a both and again. Uh, I think the context of these verses would tell us that we should look at this first and foremost with regard to the office of the Holy Ministry, preaching and teaching the Word. But by application, this extends to every Christian, every everyone's behavior, because persistent sin will lead someone away from the faith. Persistent sin will end up with an obdurate heart and the sin against the Holy Spirit. God's goal is repentance. God's goal is forgiveness. Anybody can misspeak. Anybody can make a stumble and be easily corrected. But when someone digs their heels in and persists in sin, they need to be rebuked And if this sin is public, they need to be rebuked publicly. Two things come to mind. Um, 
Luther's Luther's words in uh, the large catechism with regard to the eighth commandment, where he gives a long and uh, a strong appeal that uh, private sins are treated in a completely different manner than public sins, and public sins, for the sake of the gospel, must be rebuked publicly. The other thing that comes to mind is, uh, you know, Paul lived this out. I believe it's in uh, Galatians 2 or 3, where uh, Peter is, um, Peter is uh, eating uh, one way around the Gentiles and another way around the Jews, and Paul calls him out on it. And Paul said, I had to rebuke Peter in front of them all and uh, for the sake of the gospel. And so I think this is very, very important for us. If someone, if someone uh, has a secret sin and only you know about it, you go to them. You keep it quiet. You protect their reputation. But if there's a public sin, and in this day of social media and uh, YouTube and all churches doing all kinds of stuff out there, there's a lot of things that are out in the public that weren't 20 or 40 years ago. Um, these, these kind of things need to be taken to task for the sake of the soul, for the sake of the gospel. Well, and that's particularly true when it does when it comes to the office of the holy ministry, because there with with the matter of the eighth commandment, not only is the matter of the eighth commandment in view, but you start talking about the second commandment and the misuse of God's name. And when it is a an occupant of the office of the holy ministry, when that man starts to preach falsely and to persist in that sin, or when he starts to live a scandalous life and persist in that sin, now we're not just talking about his honor that is that is at stake and his own need for repentance, but now we're talking about, as you, you brought up, this is a, a matter of the gospel. Lest, lest others be led astray in this man's false teaching or be led toward persisting in a sinful lifestyle themselves, that man needs to be rebuked so that he doesn't lead others into that same sin. And I think that's that's part of at least what Paul says as he gives the, the reason. He says, so that, do this, do this public rebuke, so that the rest may stand in fear. And, and again, uh, fear can be looked at in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I am afraid uh, of certain things, uh, you know, maybe a poisonous snake or drowning since I don't swim. But when, when we're talking fear in this kind of a context, this is that fear, love, and trust that Luther teaches us the meaning to the first commandment. This is faith. This is faith, that, that fear, respect, honor, trust that comes in knowing that I'm a sinner knowing that I'm accountable to God, and knowing that God has loved me and forgiven me through the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. There ought to be a fear, love, and trust relationship in that respect. And if there's not, if I fear um, my reputation, if I fear my standing, my paycheck, whatever, more than I fear, love, and trust in God, I'm always going to get myself in trouble. Yeah, I think I think that element of fear is is there, that this is a matter of, where to go? The rest may stand in fear. This is a matter of, of God's ultimate goal, which is to keep his church in the true faith, in repentance, in forgiveness. And, and when it requires a, 
a pastor to be rebuked for false teaching, then then he wants that done so that that congregation will be presented on the last day pure and spotless in Christ. That's that's his ultimate goal is always that rep- repentance and reconciliation. And not only for the congregation, but also for the man himself, lest, lest that pastor lose for himself his own salvation. God wants repentance for that pastor as well and for those under his care. All of that is in view. And to go back to to Matthew 18, the goal there that Jesus gives us is always to win the brother back. When he listens to you, you've gained your brother. And that's always the goal. It's never just to to make somebody feel bad or to because you want to kick somebody out. The goal is to win him or to, back. Or to win. That's uh, you know, We're yeah. all about keeping score. We want to win. And while this everything we've said here is especially true for pastors, this works for any leader in the congregation. If you've got an elder in the church, or let's say someone who's been uh, the head of the LWML for many, many years, and all of a sudden they're living a scandalous lifestyle, or... Uh, they have a baby, and uh, they decide not to get their baby baptized, but dedicated at the local assemblies of God. Uh, this is public sin, and for the sake of the congregation, for the sake of uh, the people that uh, have looked to them in leadership-type roles, this sin needs to be publicly rebuked. So as, as Paul continues then into verse 21, he now speaks very directly to Timothy, And he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. What's Paul doing when he puts Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels? This is is about as serious as it gets. When, uh, When we testify... If you've, if you've ever had the uh, opportunity to testify in court, I have several times, uh, and you are uh, swearing before God uh, when, when you are taking an oath of office, um, it's like uh, pay extra special attention because God is watching. This is a specific oath, a specific directive that is going here. The uh, the interesting thing is this uh, elect angels term. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, this phrase is not used anywhere else in all of Scripture. And I wondered, as I pondered on that, if the elect angels were not so much talking specifically about the good, the holy angels, as it, was, as it is about the elect messengers the preachers and teachers of God's word, word mm. and its truth and purity, those whom God has elected into this office of the holy ministry. I'd love to do a little more digging on that, but uh, it, it, was, it caught me off guard because I've never seen it before. Mm. That's a, this what? is so important with regard to these charges and these accusations. I am I'm giving you a special charge, a special oath here. The old Adam wants to prejudge. The old Adam keeps score, looks at things uh, with partiality or envy. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, watch out. Don't do it. Follow God's word and God's directive for the sake of the church. 
on on the the phrase the elect angels that was that is one that stands out as unusual and i think you're right that it doesn't show up like that anywhere else in the new testament and and i'd never really thought about what you said there that perhaps paul instead of translating elect angels we could we could talk about chosen messengers such that paul is charging timothy in the presence of god and Christ and all all of the pastors in the church. And that's not, you know, I'd, I'd have to, to think more about that and look at the rest of the scriptures to see, but that's not a bad bad thing. My, when I was pondering that, the elect angels, when I put, it, assuming talking holy angels, so God, Christ, and the, the holy angels, in my mind, that puts you on judgment day because Christ talks about, you know, when he returns with the angels at his second coming. And so it's, it's sure. like... Yeah, I mean, but I, you know, I have to think about the other one, Pastor Pop, because I don't, I don't think it that's be, out of bounds. It would be a fun one to look, and you know, Tim, I'm no angel. <laughs> I don't know you all that well, but I'm pretty sure you're no angel. That's right. Uh, and uh, and yet, by the grace of God, through the office of the Holy Ministry, He has given us the angelic task of being His messenger, hmm. and to be able to be His mouth for the only eternal gospel, the only eternal good news, and to bring that word to sin-stricken souls. Um, that's that's the most precious thing that God could possibly give me. Uh, what, what an awesome gift. And so um, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that's the only way to understand that, but it might be one way to look at that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think you you yeah, that might be it. That might be it, and that's not a not a bad. It's a good thing to remember because sometimes the scriptures do speak that way and use the word angel, which does not have to mean a heavenly being. The word angel in Greek simply means messenger, and sometimes that's that's what a pastor is. He is a messenger, and so that's not that's that's in bounds. I think. I want to go back though to that without prejudging doing nothing from partiality as well because as you were as we were talking earlier about you know, that this matter of those who persist in sin need to be rebuked publicly there is a great temptation there to act in partiality or to act with prejudging you know you think about those who have occupied these positions among us and it would be easy for us to let a sin slide because he has been an elder for so long or because she has been the head of the LWML forever or because he's been our pastor for 25 years. And so we're just going to kind of turn away from that sin and not deal with it. And Paul charges Timothy, no, you can't do that. You, you can't do that. The only, the only judgment that stands isn't your own partiality, but it is what does God's word say? And that has to be the standard. There's, there's too much at stake to let those kind of things happen. And with regard to pastors, we see it all the time. Um, we think of a pastor that, has, that wears a black shirt and a collar a little bit differently than a pastor that wears a three-piece suit or a polo shirt. We think of a pastor who wears a chasuble a little bit differently than the pastor who's got the big screen and the praise band up. Rather than looking at their words and their conduct, we try to look at the outward things, people's reputation, what clubs or groups they belong to, what magazines they subscribe to, and we assume about other pastors what they believe, teach, and confess, rather than actually sitting down and having the conversation. 
And I think uh, that knife cuts in a lot of ways. And I think that's just a good reminder for all of us um, to not prejudge based on anything. Right. Listen, listen to what he teaches. Listen to what he says. That's the by your fruits, by their fruits you will know them. And and that's the fruit of the pastors. What is he saying? And and keep your eyes there. Keep your eyes on the ball. Don't get focused on all those other things that might lead you to prejudge in a way that's not accurate. And I think that fits very well with what Paul goes into in verse 22. He says, "Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands." I mean, that that sounds an awful lot like ordination, Pastor Poppy. Is that what Paul's got in mind there? Uh, yeah, and the laying on of hands can be applied to how you put someone in authority, but uh, I don't know how you can look at verse 22 and not say that this is specifically in reference to the office of the Holy Ministry. Don't be too hasty in ordaining someone into the office of the Holy Ministry. And I think by extension, we can then take that uh don't be too hasty in making a decision to go to the seminary or admitting someone into the seminary. Don't be too hasty into putting someone in a leadership position in the church, like elder or chairman of the congregation. I think um, we sometimes are tempted to be hasty rather than go through the more long, sometimes painful, arduous process of making sure someone really is who they claim to be. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's stuff, definitely a temptation to do that, particularly when you're, I mean, and I'm just thinking through, you know, you're looking to fill spots sometimes, and, and there's temptation, well, I'll just put somebody there. Well, no, no, it's not just a spot to be filled, and that's true of the pastoral office, and it is true of other leadership positions within a congregation. It's not just a spot to be filled, but it is a place in which a person is given to serve the Lord in that whatever particular role it may be. And it's not a matter of hastiness, but it is a matter of, of great deliberation and, and looking at the person such such that all of these errors, you don't fall into them, but rather hold on to that truth of the gospel. And that, I mean, we should never lose sight of that. That's what Paul's been telling Timothy all along in this epistle is to hold on to the truth because the truth is the only thing that's going to save. And when we when we take our eye off of that, then there's all kinds of temptation and error that we could fall into and will lead pastor and people alike astray. That truth is the only thing that can save, and that truth is the only thing that lasts. Yeah. The uh, temporal things that we are uh, so often so concerned about, uh, these things come and go. In the grand scheme of things, they oftentimes prove themselves to, to be not that big of a deal. But uh, the Word of God endures forever. It is true, and it is worth taking a little extra time to make sure that we have it right. Hmm. What about in, in verse 22, Paul, after says, don't be hasty in the laying out of hands, he says, don't take part in the sins of others, keep yourself pure. How do those things go together? Well, when, uh, when we overlook someone's sins and don't rebuke them for the sins that they've committed, you, you talked about, you know, the pastor that's been around for 25 years, and, you know, we're going to cut him a little extra slack, we're going to look the other way, or, you know, the other illustrations that you used, when you don't treat sin seriously and you let it slide and you let it go, you, when you have an opportunity to correct and rebuke, 
you participate in the sin of the other person. And if you know, you know, specifically here with regard to someone um, being a pastor, if if you know that someone has some deep, dark sins in the past that have never been dealt with, um, you know, a, an altercation with the law or some sexual sin or whatever, and you keep quiet about it and don't do anything about it, you're participating in that sin. And uh, there are grave, grave consequences because as... Paul goes on a little bit later out. You you may hide it for a little while, but you're not going to be able to hide it forever. It's always going to come to the top. It's always going to ex- be exposed, and you then will be exposed with it. That keep yourself pure is um, you know it's an interesting it's an interesting thing here. Are you to keep yourself pure by not participating in anybody else's sin, or are you to keep yourself pure with regard to what you eat and drink, which is verse 23? And I I think that's one of those verses that can go either way. But it seems to me uh, and and Luther makes a big big deal out of this verse, uh, keep yourself pure, that the uh the way that you would show yourself at the time of Paul and Timothy to be a faithful pastor would be to have a uh, very ascetic and um, diet-limiting lifestyle, Mm -hmm. and that you would drink water and water only. Nothing else but water would touch your lips. And for some people, that was fine. But for other people, their their body makeup uh, meant that they would get sickly and uh, always be suffering. And that Paul was reminding Timothy here, um, it's not the water that makes you pure, it's the Word of God. In fact, drink a little wine for your stomach problems. And uh, I, I think that phrase there, while it has been so misused and so abused over the, over the time, it's just that practical. Well, and I think that fits in very nicely with what Paul had brought up back in chapter four of this epistle, where he talks about some false teachers who were not only forbidding marriage, but they were requiring abstinence from f- certain foods. And, and this thought that, you know, oh, I need to, in order to be a pure pastor, I can only drink water. Well, Paul's telling Timothy, no, no, no. It's the word of God that the word of God is what allows you to receive God's gifts with thanksgiving. And that's true of this little wine that you need because you're a little sick sometimes, Timothy. So so go ahead and drink it. It's all right. It's all yeah, right. We, uh, Tums hadn't made it on the market yet, so uh, take right. a sip of wine now and then, that's, that's right. That's right. Uh, Pastor, probably we got about four minutes here, and, and we thought this might happen. As with, with the time that we've got left, Paul talks about conspicuous versus secret sin, but he also does the same with good works. And then he also, in verses one and two of chapter six mentions the matter of masters and slaves with about four minutes here. Help us into these final verses. Well, in uh, verses 24 and 25 of first Timothy five, the, the matter of conspicuous versus secret is brought up and it's brought up in two ways. One with regard to sin, one with regard to good works and good works and sin are in some respects, the same, because you can keep them secret or you can flaunt them. And the bottom line, I think, here is in verse 25, where he says, good works cannot remain hidden. They just can't. 
and good works are going to expose themselves, even if no one knows about it on this side of heaven. And I think that's where that, that Judgment Day theme with the elect angels comes in. E, on the last day, all of those good works will be exposed in a positive way and be rewarded. You think you are hiding your sins. Uh, you may be able to hide them from uh, human beings, but you are not going to be able to hide them from God. He knows all. In uh, the first two verses of chapter 6, this uh this vocation thing continues on, and, you know, it's talking about slaves and workers, slaves and uh, masters, slaves and owners, and I think most of the time we look at those verses and we apply them to um, employers and employees today, and I think if you look at that in that light, if, you're, if your boss is a scoundrel, Unbelieving, unbeliever, pagan, treat him with respect. No one is an authority that hasn't been placed there by God. If your boss is a Christian, a fellow church member, don't take advantage of the fact that he is a fellow Christian or a fellow church member to try to slide by on your duties, try to slide by on your work. In fact, treat him with extra respect because you share in the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Pastor Clint Poppy is the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, helping us this morning with 1 Timothy chapter 5.17 through chapter 6, verse 2. Pastor Poppy, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. It's always a great pleasure. God's blessings in Christ. God has given you a pastor to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to you. The good news of Christ crucified, risen, and ascended to save you, a sinner. Show that pastor double honor. Respect him for the office God has given. And support him and his family physically with what he needs. Because God has given him to you to preach to you the good news. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.